Amen. He is risen. We gather as a memorial to His resurrection every single Sunday. And we have been doing so ever since that first resurrection day. Whenever Jesus left the tomb, walked out of the tomb alive. We see depictions of Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus isn't in the cro- on the cross. And Jesus isn't in the tomb. Jesus is alive and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, Paul wants the Corinthian church to be reminded of the things that are most important. And so this message today is a simple message about the resurrection from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to turn there with me. We're going to home in just on verse 20 this morning, but we'll be taking in uh, the better part of the chapter in chapter 15. So if you're not sure about the resurrection, your house of faith is built upon a shifty foundation. You need assurance today, just like that Corinthian church needed all those years ago, that Jesus died for your sins, but that He is alive today offering you eternal life. And if you're not 100% sure about that, I hope we can convince you today that you can see through eyes of faith the empty tomb. And so the biblical truth this morning is that the truth of the resurrection is foundational for your faith. If you don't get that right, you're, you're not building on the right foundation. You need to start there. That Jesus rose again on the third day. And Paul is going to begin the chapter in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now I want you to just listen to these words here. We'll have them on your screen for just a minute. But listen to what it says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Now, when you think about that, you would think, well, that must come from the Gospels, right? That must come from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and it's talking about Jesus. But do you realize that those words were written in Isaiah 53, and they were written nearly 720 years before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth? And if you continue to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, verse by verse, and you realize that this was written so many years, you wonder how in the world could Isaiah have predicted with such precision the exact events of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Well, if it weren't for the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God, Isaiah never would have been able to. But because God carried along the prophets, including Isaiah, they were able to predict What was going to happen? And so when Paul says, in accordance with the Scriptures, Paul has in mind what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53. God knew that it was going to happen this way. And He's telling you today to trust in what He's done, to believe in what He's done. Jesus is alive. Now, 
I want you to stand with me and we're just going to focus in on verse 20. So we're going to read that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Listen to what it says. There's a whole sermon in this one scripture. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the power that is in those words. That in fact, Christ is alive. Lord, we know that today we celebrate the resurrection in a very special way. But Lord, I pray that every day of our lives, we would celebrate the the resurrection in our hearts. That it would become such a part of our DNA as a church and as individual Christians that the world would see that Jesus is alive because they can see Jesus living in us. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and study of your word now. Lord, give us hearts to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is alive, number one, and you can see it. You can see the physical evidence of the resurrection. Now that's interesting to think about. When you look at what Paul says, he says in verse 20, but in fact, it's almost like Paul is testing us. And saying, hey, he's challenging us. He's saying, go and take a look for yourself. Go and see what he's done. Go and see that Jesus is alive. Now, he begins in this text in chapter 15, talking about all of the the essentials of the faith. That Jesus died on the cross. That he was buried and that he was raised again. And all of those things are vitally important for your faith. But then he begins to kind of home in on the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, none of the rest of it matters. Jesus is just a good teacher who died a martyr's death. And he's still dead. But Paul says in verse 20, But in fact, Jesus has been risen from the dead. So we think about this for a moment. You can see it. I like to think about the way Lee Strobel puts it. Uh, Lee Strobel was an atheist slash agnostic, not really sure, but pretty sure that Jesus was just a made up fairy tale and everything about the resurrection was a made up fairy tale. But he began to investigate that. He was a, a, a investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And as he began to unpack all the evidence and look at all the evidence and observe everything that happened on the the day surrounding the resurrection and all of the historical evidence and all the writings and all of the facts, he began to realize, hey, this is true. And so now he's come to faith in Jesus Christ because of investigating the resurrection. And, And Lee had hung it all on that single peg and said, listen, if the resurrection's not true, then everything else about Christianity is a lie and you might as well give it up. But because that one peg was sure and steadfast, the rest of, rest of Christianity must be true. And this is the way that he categorizes the evidence. Listen, there is evidence that you can see that Jesus is alive. Number one, his execution. That Jesus was dead. It's an indisputable fact. Jesus was clearly dead according to the most gruesome method of execution the Romans had ever invented. 
the ideas of the swoon theory that Jesus was just not quite dead and then he was kind of resuscitated have been totally debunked by scientists, historians, and medical pathologists alike. In fact, the Journal of, American, of the American Medical Association said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. The scientific community, both atheists and agnostics and Christians alike, all agree that Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical figure who died by Roman crucifixion in the first century. And the question is, who was Jesus? And then what happened after that? But you have to first establish the, the resurrection by proving that there was a dead body that was put in the tomb. And all the historic, historians agree. So his execution. But secondly, the empty tomb. That is physical evidence. Everyone agreed that first Easter morning that the tomb was empty. The opponents of Jesus as well as the followers of Jesus witnessed an empty tomb. The question was, how did it become empty? The soldiers reported it. It was their job to guard the tomb. The religious leaders made up a story about it. Oh, well, they must have stolen the body. The Romans were left to deal with the, the problem. And it would have been the easiest thing to end the Jesus movement if they simply produced the body of Jesus. But they couldn't. Because he was alive. In addition to that, the Bible tells us to, to come and see the place where he was laid. Matthew 28, verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. It's, it's almost as if the Bible is saying, hey, here is the evidence of the resurrection. Look at the empty tomb. And when the disciples saw the empty tomb, they didn't just see an empty tomb. They saw the linen shroud that had been wrapped around him and the napkin that was on his face laid there perfectly still with no body. And so the Bible even mentions those burial cloths. And did you know that uh, a lot of scholars today believe that we actually have the, the burial cloths that have been preserved all of these years? We still have them. It's called the Shroud of Turin. And the efforts in 1988 to prove that they were uh, a medieval forgery have been debunked. And in fact, even recanted by the people that did the test, the radiocarbon dating, said that eh, they didn't quite get it right. We're still waiting on hopefully one day having a radiocarbon dating that will date this back to the first century. But simply looking at it and analyzing the shroud, it makes you think, well, well I mean, this is, a, this is an, something amazing. A five foot four, I think they said, man who was crucified. And the interesting thing about the shroud is it's, it's linen. And it's not painted with the face of Jesus. It's not painted with a body. In fact, scientists today cannot replicate the way that the image was imprinted upon the shroud. It's pretty amazing. It's almost like, this is what they say, they call it a photo negative. It's a negative, just like if, if a flash of light comes into a camera, onto the film, it leaves a negative image on that film, and then they have to go and push light back through that image 
to produce a photograph? You know how that works? Well, they're saying this is what happened. Okay? And even in the Middle Ages, they didn't have technology like that. And back in the first century, they certainly didn't have technology that could produce something like this. And even today, they cannot replicate it. It's almost like a a burst of energy or a flash of light, a a small nuclear explosion happened inside the shroud and left an imprint of the image on the shroud. You know, what's, what's even more interesting is that the Catholic Church has preserved what they believe is the facial covering of Jesus and they've had it for even the dates all the way back to the third century. They've had it since then. And they believe it is the burial cloth of Jesus from the first century. When you, when you take that shroud that was over his face, immediately on his face, and then you take the shroud of Turin and you line them up, they match perfectly. It's pretty amazing. I think it's amazing. Now, we can't hang our hat on this one and say that's it. We've got the evidence. There's still more evidence. But the empty tomb and the Shroud of Turin are definitely two of those. And then we also have early accounts. When you think about the fact that the gospel accounts as well as the other writings of Paul in the New Testament, they've been dated back to as early as 24 to 36 months after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You go, well, wow. That's amazing. You know, most historical facts are based on one source, maybe two sources. But the fact of the resurrection has no less than nine historical sources, both in the New Testament and outside the New Testament, that verify the resurrection with eyewitness accounts. That's amazing. That's a landslide of evidence that Jesus was raised on the third day. And then on top of those written accounts, you have the eyewitness testimonies that Paul refers to here in uh, chapter 15. And beginning in verse 5, he says, And that he appeared to Cephas. Who is Cephas? Do you remember? That's Peter. Then to the twelve. Okay? So you've got the twelve apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So we have at least 513 witnesses of the resurrection And then Paul goes on to say this, most of whom are still alive. In other words, what he's saying to the Corinthian church is, if you don't believe in the resurrection, just go ask the people that saw Jesus alive. They're still alive. Most of them are there. And then he goes on to say, and some have fallen asleep. He's going to use that euphemism again. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for dying. But knowing that those who believe in the resurrection have resurrection life, they've simply fallen asleep in Paul's mind. They passed away. Then he appeared to James. Now we're not sure about James for sure whether this is James the son of Zebedee, James the less, or if this is James uh, the brother of Jesus. But what is interesting is the change that happened in these men. You look at Peter, we saw him Last week, and we thought about Peter, he was going to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And then the Bible says whenever he was there in that courtyard and he was seeing Jesus on trial and he knew that they were about to crucify, they were going to condemn him to death and crucify him, Peter went out and wept. 
ashamed of himself, terrified. And then all of the disciples, in like manner, fled him, ran away, terrified, in fear of their own lives being taken the same way Jesus was about to die. But then you flip that around after a trip to Galilee and a trip back to Jerusalem and then the filling of the Holy Spirit, you see Peter on the day of Pentecost standing and proclaiming with authority that Jesus Christ is alive. And he proclaims it in the presence of thousands. And then whenever he says that, those people don't say, oh, no, that's baloney, you're a liar, Peter, and rail him down off the stage. Three thousand men along with their families put their faith in a resurrected Jesus if Jesus was still in the tomb or his body was somewhere somebody would have come up and said now he's dead and then you see the church rapidly grow after that then you see later on these same apostles one by one give their lives For the proclamation that Jesus is alive. Let me ask you this. How many of you be willing to die for a lie? Die for a lie, Miss Pauline. How many? I would die for Jesus too, Miss Pauline. How many of you die for a lie? Not a single one of you. Why would so many Christians give up their lives? Now, here's, here, this is what's even, even more amazing. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know what Paul is saying? I know Jesus is alive because I have seen him. <laughs> That's not evidence enough. You know, eyewitness testimony bears the greatest weight in a court of law of any other evidence. Forensic evidence doesn't rise to the level. Circumstantial evidence doesn't. But if you have an eyewitness that was there and saw it happen, you can verify that and the jury will be unanimous because of that testimony. Peter preached. Paul preached. The rest of the disciples agreed and gave their lives. Here's another interesting fact. The brothers of Jesus... The half-brothers of Jesus, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah while he was on the earth. And when he was preaching and teaching, you know what, they, they were embarrassed. And they said, come on, come on, Jesus, you need to come on back home. He's a little loony, y'all, okay? You know, just... They tried to get him to go home. But when you see that they've seen Jesus alive after his crucifixion, Now, you have James and Jude writing parts of your New Testament telling you to contend for the faith and to count it all joy when you suffer because Jesus suffered and died before you. Listen, these men were changed because of the resurrection. The eyewitness testimony is so powerful. Your belief in the resurrection is grounded in historical observable evidence you can see. Listen, if you got the money, you can hop on a plane like Miss Betty and like Mr. Johnny just did recently and go over to Israel and you can go and step just like Peter and John and step and peer into an empty tomb 
Don't let anyone tell you that the resurrection is superstitious or made up fairy tales. It's absolutely not. You can see it. Number two, you must believe it. Now, you can see it, but if it doesn't hit your heart, then something's wrong. Now, Paul goes on and he he talks about all of the the things that wouldn't be true if the resurrection was not true. And he basically boils it all down to this. Listen, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're pitiful. What good is it to you to do anything for God if Jesus is dead in the tomb? It boils down to faith in the one who was raised. That you have to put your faith in Jesus. And knowing the evidence supports your belief is essential. You're not called to take just a blind leap of faith. Scripture never teaches us to do that. What Scripture says is, thus says the Lord. And you're called to trust it. So there is an element of faith that works. Now what if the resurrection was not true? Listen to what Paul goes on to say here, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise, if it is not true that the dead... We're not raised. So if you think about this for just a second, Paul's saying is we're lying about what God said if we say there is no resurrection. In other words, God said there was a resurrection. In fact, David in the psalm says, you will not let your Holy One undergo decay, for you will rescue his soul from Hades. You think about that for a moment. That's a proclamation that Jesus is alive even thousands of hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And so God said it was true. But Paul says he, we're making him out to be a liar. Because we're proclaiming the resurrection. In verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who, are alive, who, are, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I've seen some pitiful people in my day. I think the most pitiful thing that I've ever seen was a, <clears throat> a blind dog that had eczema, had cancer on her leg, and her teeth were falling out, and she couldn't, couldn't even uh, do anything really but scratch herself all the time. It was pitiful. You feel pitiful right now? Is that how you feel about that dog? That I told you about. There was a man over in Indonesia that I saw one day. He was skinny as a rail. And he was begging for food on the side of the road. Now if you're poor in Indonesia. You're really poor. You're the poorest of the poor. And he, didn't ha- he only had just maybe one tooth. He was begging for food. And you know what Paul says? Of all people on the planet. A Christian who doesn't believe in the resurrection, isn't 100% sure of the resurrection, really doesn't have hope of resurrection. That's the most pitiful thing that Paul can imagine. The most pitiful. If Jesus didn't raise, 
wasn't raised from the dead. He didn't come out of that tomb alive. We have no hope. Dr. Rogers put it this way. If the resurrection wasn't real, our preaching would be profitless. Our faith would be foolish. The disciples would be deceivers because they proclaimed the resurrection. Sin would be sovereign in our lives. Death would have dominion and the future would be futile. Chapter 15, verse 19 says, If we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why bother? Just live your life and get what you can get, right? And live it up until you die because that's all there is. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, a dead Savior can't save anyone. Buddha is dead. The Dalai Lama is dead. Confucius is dead. Muhammad is dead. Darwin is dead, but Jesus is alive. He's a Savior today. And because Jesus is alive, our preaching is powerful. The disciples were declares of truth. Sin has lost its sting. Death is dead and heaven is our home. Because Jesus is alive. Many Christians are not certain of what they believe. And because they're not certain, their attitude is downcast. They walk around like a question mark, all hunched over and crooked. Jesus wants to turn your question mark into an exclamation mark. That I know, that I know, that I know that Jesus is alive. I know He's alive. Notice what He told Thomas. Thomas had said, I will never believe Eight days later, after they, Jesus had appeared to His disciples, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, I love that part, by the way. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in. Amen. Man, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we think we're not going to bring Jesus to church with us, and He just shows up anyway. And you, you didn't even realize He was coming, but He came. Got the doors all locked. This is about us. Not you. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, no, it's about me. I love it. I also love this because Jesus can just teleport. And it says we're going to have a body like his. So I'm going to teleport one day. So he came in and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You hear that? Stop doubting and believe. Some of you, you need to stop doubting today and believe. There's plenty of evidence. Your faith is not irrational. But at some point, it's got to travel from your head to your heart. That the God of the universe loved you enough that He would enter into human flesh that He would live among us, live a sinless life, and that He would die on the cross for you. And then by the power of God, He would be raised again on the third day. Your God loves you that much. And you need to receive it into your heart today. So not only can you believe, not only can you see it, not only must you believe it, but you will receive it if you believe it. 
you will receive the resurrection life that Jesus offers. Go back to that verse 20 just one more time. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, what does he mean by that? The first fruits. I love the idea of the first fruits when it comes to Jesus' resurrection. Because the first fruits were offered, were an offering given to God at the beginning of the growing season. And get this, they were given in, in, in anticipation of the Lord providing more later on. That's what first fruits mean. But when you're giving the first fruits, do you know for sure? Do you know for sure that there's going to be a last fruits? No, you don't know that, do you? You have to give it to God in faith. Jesus was that first offering of resurrection that went up to heaven. And the Bible says that one day we in like manner are going to go where he has been. First Corinthians six and verse 14. And God, God who raised the Lord will also raise us up. By his power. The same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in every single one of us who believe. And we will receive the resurrection. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Listen, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and you've never put your faith in him, the Bible says that you're not alive spiritually, you're dead. And I'm telling you right now, not that it's pleasant news, but a person in that condition will spend eternity in hell separated from Almighty God. And that's not a place that you want to be, nor that you have to be. Because this offer is for you. The God that raised the Lord will also raise us up by His power if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Paul goes on to say in chapter 15, skip on down to verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Remember that same euphemism? It simply means passing away. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, <laughs> those that uh, study Anatomy and physiology tell us that the most rapid, fast, quick movement of the human body is the twitch of an eye. And every once in a while, my eye gets to twitching, and I can't get it to stop, and I think about that. You ever seen something go by so fast it's just a blur? But your eye can still catch it, can it? Yesterday, for Micah's birthday, he wanted to go to the OA. You know what the OA is? Yeah, it's a place where uh, you walk by and a vacuum cleaner just sucks all the money right out of your wallet. Mm. But we went to the OA <laughs> and uh, we were, we were uh, at, the, at the water park and they have a, a, I think it's called the Tangerine Terror or something like that. It's this orange slide and it's nearly vertical. And you can climb up on top of this little bridge and, and uh, outlook thing. And you step out there, and there's a railing there, and there's the, there's the uh, slide right on the other side of the bridge, and you can just look at it. Watch people go. 
just so fast. They just fly by you so fast. And I look at them and it just almost looked like a blur. To the naked eye, they just looked like a blur going down. I think, well, my eye could still see them. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to be that quick. So we're not going down that slide. We're going up and we're going to go just like that. And be changed forever. And made like Jesus. In a resurrection body that never dies. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. You shall receive it if you believe it. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about this for a second, the greatest need that you have today and the greatest victory that needs to be won in your life is not victory in your bank, bank account. It's not victory in your, your career. It's not victory in your family and in your relationships. Although that's important. It's not, it's not victory in a baseball game or a football game. The greatest victory, the greatest battle that needs to be won is victory over sin. Because sin brings forth, when it's fully grown, it's fully developed, what it brings forth is death. See, God has planted a new seed inside of every one of us. The moment that we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, something begins to happen. We're changed. The Bible says, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, he said, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. You've been made New. You're brand new on the inside. And now that, that new life that's inside of you begins to grow. And whenever it's fully developed, it's fully conceived, the old husk will be broken away and the new life will emerge imperishable. And that's what's going to happen for each and every one of us. I don't know if you've put your faith in Jesus before, but if you've not, right now, Right here is the time to do it. Peter tells us this promise, and he says this in his blessing in 1 Peter 1, chapter 3. We've got a lot of Paul's writings. Now we've got to get some Peter in here, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. Is your hope alive today? Are you the living proof that Jesus is alive? I love what Nicole C. Mullen said. She says, I know my Redeemer lives. I spoke with him this morning. So, are you a question mark or are you an exclamation point today? Believer, listen, if you say you believe in Jesus, act like he's alive, not like he's dead. Talk about this man who was raised again on the third day for you. 
like you know Him, like you love Him, and like He's coming back for you because He loves you that way. And if you don't know Him today, right now, right here, this is your opportunity. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Each and every one of us has sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Paul also tells us, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's offering it to you. He's saying what he has, the life that he has, it can be yours too if you will put your faith in him. And so right here, right now, pray this prayer with me in your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It's simply your confession of sin and your declaration of faith in Jesus, the one who lived the sinless life died on a sinner's cross, and was raised for you. So pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, and I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for my sin. And that you were raised again on the third day. And that you are alive. And you are the Lord of all. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come in my heart. Make me a new person on the inside. Give me a home in heaven with you. And I'll spend the rest of my life living for you and loving you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now you look at me. If you prayed that prayer, the Lord Jesus heard that prayer. And He's answered that prayer. But now we're going to give you the opportunity to share what Jesus has done for you and for you to say thank you to Him. We want to welcome you into the family of faith. We want to surround you with love and fellowship. And we want to see you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. So we stand with me. This is your invitation to come and share what Jesus has done for you. If you're looking for a church home, a place to fellowship with believers and worship alongside and serve alongside believers, Myrtle Grove Baptist Church welcomes you. We love you. We want you to come. This is your invitation as well. And if you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you, pray with your family, for your family, for whatever needs you may have. Bring them to the altar. Bring them to the Lord. Let's use this invitation the way the Lord requires.